from Touchstone Pictures. A ruthless killer. Jump! Oh! A beautiful hostage. You have to get me out of these mountains. Two men tracking them. Sarah! One for love, one for revenge. This man is mine, you understand? Sidney Poitier, Tom Berenger. Two men doing whatever it takes. You shoot her, you're dead half a second later. To get their man. Get on! Shoot to kill, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Well, what's uh, you remember the lyrics to Shoot to Kill? You know, the theme song, the unreleased theme song to the movie? You remember that, I, right? No, I don't remember that. You got, what, what can is you, it? Can you, uh, can you ring out a few? <laughs> No, lines? no, I can't. I think that's you. You had that, right? Oh, I had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Pretty sure. I have the unreleased soundtrack with the "Shoot to Kill" <laughs> theme song. Shoot, shoot to Kill theme <laughs> uh, remix. <laughs> uh, shoot to Kill. Time. Yeah. Well, uh, welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I'm John Diner, and I'm Dave Munchak. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're checking out how they hold up today in the wonderful world of 2021. And uh, today we are looking at a thriller, an action movie. Oh, it's a thriller. Yeah. (laughs) It's That's literally, I was going to ask you, is this a thriller? (laughs) Because it feels like a thriller. It thrills. It chills. It definitely (laughs) <laughs> oh of course, man of course we could only be talking about 1988's shoot to kill shoot to kill uh, uh starring um a, a plus step right this is a star-studded event star-studded yeah i mean you got you got we're going to talk about all of them of course and you've got behringer a behringer Behring classic <laughs> Yeah, you got Poitier, you got Poitier, you got Kirstie Alley, yeah, Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown, you got Richard Masser, yeah, <laughs> you know, household names. These are <laughs> well, they're big to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, yeah. Why? Why? After all these, you know, the movies we've been covering lately, we, of course, we had the Christmas holiday season and we've had Waiting for Guffman and, and uh, a few others. Why, why are we choosing to talk about Shoot to Kill? I don't know, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> it's cliffhanger to prequel. I, you know, <laughs> oh, my God, it is. It is. I, <laughs> I've not, I hadn't seen this movie until it was time for the show. And then I'm like, the first 45 minutes is clearly cliffhanger. <laughs> it's the entire movie just on a lower budget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we already covered cliffhanger, which is great. So you should re- watch that episode. Listen to that episode, watch that movie, then do shoot to kill. And then listen to our episode on the shoot to kill. And it's, it's like a, it's like a cliffhanger, like, you know, uh, party. It's a party. It is. Oh, definitely. This is a party. Party. Well, and it's (laughs) you know my original motivation was here we are in a a fresh new year, 
It's January. And what were we doing last year? Last year was 90s Winter Wonderland on the show. So we yeah. had we had Cliffhanger, like you were saying. We had yeah. Grumpy Old Men. We yeah. had Fargo. Um, we had a simple plan. So I thought, you know, we haven't really done it. So let's let's just get at least one wintry movie in uh, before before the season's over. So there you go. Uh, and nothing says winter like shoot to kill, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a winter. It's a winter fest. Uh, in sh- yeah. Reconcinimations Winterfest Winter 2021. Fest. Up in the mountains of Oregon. Yeah. I think. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, near the Canadian border. Yep. Uh, you know, there's snow there. There's rocks. There's mountains. And, you know, you need a guide to get you through it. So we're going to guide you through 1988 Shoot Kill. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it was about time... We like we gotta get Tom Berenger on this show. Yeah, yeah well, the fact that we haven't done a Berenger yet. Whew. I feel like we've talked about him though. I don't remember what episode we sort of mentioned him. I, I maybe not. I don't know. I don't it just seems like Berenger would come up. You know what? We probably talked about Platoon or Major League. So yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just referencing those. We. But like you know, because Berenger, he's someone that's in our hearts at all times. Uh, at all times, for sure. At all times. So you know, after doing seventeen slice alone movies, it was time for Berenger to slip in there. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the uh, but I think this movie's really underrated uh and and definitely a forgotten movie it doesn't get brought up it doesn't you know we already as we we ran into it's not streaming anywhere it's it's a little challenging to find yeah um i mean you can find it but it's uh i don't know so uh, it's a movie i've loved for a long time and i wanted to you know this is the kind of movie we we try to bring the spotlight back to some uh you know of course we do some big movies but we do try to to showcase some of the forgotten films of the, the, the that time period and bring it back to the forefront again. So it's time to time to to spotlight shoot to kill. And so, what a title! For, yeah, great title, and not the original title. Right, it was in parentheses. What was the original? Yeah, the original title was called Deadly Pursuit, and Deadly I think it Pursuit. was. I mean, there's posters out there with that verbiage on there, and I think it may have been released as that in in uh, certain countries and certain markets, but in the U S the official title was shoot to kill. Uh, and, and that's, you know, what's stuck all this time. Sure. Uh, for those that maybe uh, don't remember the movie, just quick summary is uh, it is about an FBI agent uh, played by Sidney Poitier, who is trying to track down a diamond thief slash m- brutal murderer uh, yeah. as he, as he escapes up the the coast from San Francisco to trying to get to Canada, and once he gets to uh, close to the American Canadian border, uh, kidnaps a a uh, a trail guide uh, to help get him through the mountainous areas. And while this whole time, while this is going on, uh, Sidney Poitier finds uh, the 
uh, part the guide's partner played by Tom Berenger and together they have to work together to cross over the mountains as well and get ahead of them uh, uh, before they get to the border. So it's a chase yeah. movie. It's a thrill. It's a chase. It's a chase it's, movie. It's a buddy film. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a ticking t- um, it's a fish out of water story. I mean, it's got everything. This thing is loaded. With, it's loaded. Uh, it's loaded <laughs> with all sorts of story uh, story elements. So, um, yeah. Is so I, I know you. You go ahead, David. Is this the original white man can't jump kind of thing? It's the prequel to that. So it's a cliffhanger yeah. prequel and a white man can't jump prequel. Yeah, I think. I think. I think that's accurate. <laughs> what? Uh, so I know you haven't seen it till uh, till we started prepping for this episode. But have you heard of the movie before? Was it ever anything that was on your radar at all? Well, funny enough that <clears throat> I I actually probably seen about twenty minutes of this movie uh, <clears throat> where where Clancy Brown and it's it's still when Kirstie Alley is leading the entire group through the movie through the woods, and then uh, we find out who the real villain is of the movie, and um, and then I think I and then takes her through the trail. So I've actually seen about twenty minutes of it because I I knew who Richard Maser Maser was and Clancy Brown and Kirstie Alley, and I'm like. What the hell is this movie? It was probably 10 years ago or something. I can't remember exactly when, but I watched about 20, 23, 20, 25 minutes of it before I'm like, well, I don't know what this is. This is weird. I don't, you know, at the time it was on TV or something and I just turned it off. Um, I didn't know what it was called, whatever. So I thought I'd never heard of it. Uh, and I'm sure I would have seen Berenger and Poitier uh, in, a, in, a, in a scene in that, in that time span, but. I was like, I didn't know what it was. And I, I, and I remember I was thinking the bits that I had seen, there's a misdirect in the movie that Richard Master is probably the villain. Um, the way they, they, the way he interacts with everybody. <clears throat> and then I could, but then, but then watching the movie from the beginning, it's Clancy Brown's voice. So, and, but you don't see him. And I wondered, well, is it still actually, I couldn't remember who the real villain was uh, when I had first seen it. So I was like, well, is it a is it a misdirect with Clancy Brown's voice? Because he's he's got a, such a distinct voice. Is Richard Mazur actually the villain? And it turned out not to be. Uh, and it was exciting. It was exciting to see it from the beginning. <laughs> like, like it's a thrill ride from the opening moments um, with Poitiers after this diamond thief. I thought um, so. Yeah, I mean, I had only seen it a bit on TV. Didn't know what it was. Didn't watch the rest of it. <laughs> Didn't know how it got resolved. Uh, and then it was like the first the first bit of the movie is like the negotiator, and then it turns into a cliffhanger. <laughs> and then it's like the end of Under Siege, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that, that was my experience with it. Never, never really had an awareness of this movie otherwise. Clearly, this movie was very influential in Hollywood, and <clears throat> it's been, uh, been written off. And so it's time to bring it back. I'm sure you know it had its it, its moment in the sun. Yeah, I or, don't I don't know about no. that. <laughs> I don't know. It uh, seems like an '80s. It just seems like a classically '80s cop movie. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it is. And, and I want to talk about that too, you know, where this kind of ranks in there and, and like what its impact was when it came out, if, you know, if at all. But, yeah. Um, I, God, was this I, something you watched a lot? Had you known, known this movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I saw this. So this movie, so, you know, we've talked about my grandma collection quite a yeah. bit on this show. A lot of movies in there that I would watch with my grandmother at an age that was probably inappropriate to be watching some of those movies. But um, yeah, the this movie is one of the few that I would put in my grandpa collection. Oh, so uh, this was, you know, there was a number of, again, extra violent movies that I remember watching Sunday morning that, you know, when I was really young, my parents would have you know, Saturday night, they'd, they'd rent a movie, they'd watch, you know, we do like a family movie Friday night, and then like they do their movie on Saturday night. Um, and then Sunday morning, if I got up earlier than them, like I would just watch whatever they watched. So uh, that was like the first time I saw, God, what I commando, I saw that way, uh, die hard on video that way. Um, and then this movie shoot to kill, but my grandfather had come up and it, I remember he had stayed the night and, uh, he and I watched this together, uh, early Sunday morning. So, and, and I just remember it really had an impact on me for a couple of reasons. Um, oh. I was a big Tom Berenger fan. I thought Tom Berenger was like, you know, we mentioned that I used to love Charlie Sheen as a kid, but I also love Tom Berenger. Probably both of those came from Platoon. But um, oh wow, yeah. yeah. So I love Berenger. Thought he was super cool, and uh, a lot of the deaths in this movie were really disturbing to me as an as an eight year old. Yeah, you know uh, the yeah absolutely yeah the entire opening <laughs> sequence is really dark. You know and, and the way that the you know the way that the the woman or the wife gets murdered you know executed by him is was brutal and people getting shot through that through the eye and then of course uh when the which we'll talk about a little later when the hikers are all eliminated uh that was really really bothered me oh yeah no it's it's like all these people they they we spend a lot of time with those hikers <laughs> they're kind of just uh joshing around and and you know enjoying outdoors and and they just get thrown off the cliffs like <laughs> yeah without any chance it's, it's horrible it's it's yeah you know i i i was not enjoying that reliving that horror <laughs> like again um uh, but knowing that I had spent all this time, like, oh no, so they're all gonna. I knew, I knew they were all gonna die. And again, I couldn't remember who the actual villain was, uh, whether it was Richard or Clancy. Um, but uh, yeah, those poor, those poor people. Um, what a way to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the, the maid gets shot through the chest, like in the in the you know the opening you know uh, hostage yeah situation like. You know he's not messing around. <laughs> Clancy's not messing around. He's gonna kill anyone he has to to get his diamonds. Uh, yeah, and and they're like, you know, they're innocent people, really. And they've already killed. Like they mentioned that, you know, the the a dog's been murdered, and then they he right. kills the the maid, and then he kills the wife, and and they're all, you know, just 
you know, he kills the maid from behind and it, it's just, it was just brutal. And, and, uh, I, you know, I, I think the movie, I think the movie's really well done. I, I like the blend of all the, the genres that we mentioned already, the f- thriller yeah. action film, <clears throat> buddy cop movie. It's like all those things. Um, there's a lot of eighties tropes in here. Um, mm-hmm. you know, mixed together. I think it works. I think, the story is strong, you know, right off the bat, like you want to see Sidney Poitier catch up with this villain. Like you yeah. want him brought down, uh, you know, how, like he's, he's a bad dude and not in like a cheesy way either, you know, and they, they, I think one of the great things that they did with this movie is, is that you don't see the killer till what, maybe halfway, two thirds of the way through the movie. I think probably right. Yeah, I think that's when we finally reveal who he who it is. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd want to say so. We spent some time with him with the hiking group. So you know, yeah, he's like this faceless entity that it just is a brutal killer, and is outsmarting uh, Poitier. Uh, what the hell is this character's name? Stanton. Yeah, Stanton. Stanton. And, FBI um, agent. FBI agent. Uh, Richard Stanton. Is it Richard? I don't know. Um, Warren Harry Stanton. Dean. Harry Dean. It's Harry Dean. Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> pure, pure coincidence. <clears throat> yeah, it just happened to be. <laughs> the script had to name him that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, like it, it it opens with that thriller, and like you just established very early on that Warren Stanton is like he's got this personal stake. He's FBI. Like this is his jurisdiction. He's mm-hmm. gonna get this guy. He's gonna and he's calculating and he's trying to, you know, he's probably super good at his job, but he's up against someone that is just a little bit smarter, you know. And he gets outsmarted uh, a couple of times before, uh, you know, what before the the chase even really begins. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're and you see him in the FBI offices and like running the investigation and stuff and it's just oh like he should he should normally catch any bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> but he's up against someone that you know, I don't know. What well, was uh Yeah, I th- I think like the obviously one of the main <laughs> important elements of the movie of the movie is the casting of Sidney Poitier in this role. And yeah. just the casting alone brings an, an air of respect and authority, you know, to that role. It's, you know, yeah. he's a serious actor and, you know, he's a guy, he's coming off of an 11 year acting hiatus and, and was mm-hmm. a already a legend at the time and a yeah. really important uh, actor in the, you know, from the late fifties all the way through the sixties into the seventies. And this is his kind of return to, Hollywood from an acting standpoint. Um, so yeah, it's not like, I don't know. You just take it seriously to start with, even though it's an eighties movie and an eighties cop movie. And a lot of times those can become kind of silly very quickly. You know, this one, I think, I think is able to ride that line and stay on the serious side and, and uh, you know, keep some respect all the way through. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's talk about Sidney Poitier for a second. So please, he was, he's one of the most influential black actors, uh, you know, again, coming up in the fifties and was cast in very 
important movies of, of the day and still today and and you know kind of iconic movies uh using blackboard jungle the defiant ones with tony curtis you ever see that the defiant ones no i haven't you ever see the movie fled with lawrence fishburne and stephen baldwin you know mm-hmm. the best baldwin i haven't actually no <laughs> Okay. Well, it's a classic from 96, but that's a remake of uh, The Defiant Ones. Uh, he's, he's in A Raisin in the Sun, Lilies in the Field, uh, uh, look, uh, look Who's Co- or sorry, Guess Who's Coming uh, for Dinner, and In the Heat of the Night. And In the Heat of the Night, of the Heat of the Night is like one of my, it's probably a top, top 20 movie for me. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Detective, uh, what was his name? Um, uh, Mr. Tibbs. Yeah, Vir- Mr. Virgil- Tibbs. Yeah, Virgil Tibbs. Yeah, call, which, they call him. They, they, they call him Mr. Tibbs. Yeah, exactly. Which is the name yeah. of the second movie, and then yeah. they made a third one. So you know, unbeknownst to many people, that is one of the first uh, movie trilogies. Hmm. Well, what was the third movie called? Oh uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the organization. I the think or- organiz- That's exactly what I see here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Huh, but it's you know it's not uh, in the heat of the nights the the good one. <laughs> the rest are. I think yeah. the second one's okay. I saw him like maybe fifteen years ago, and the third one was not good. Right. Um, it just you know it was clearly just kind of trying to hang on to the popularity of in the heat of the night. But but um, you know he was an important actor, and you know, and then he sort of moved into directing through the seventies and um, mm-hmm. started to kind of. Uh, you know, reduce his acting acting time, mm-hmm. but again, this was uh, this was a comeback movie for him, and I think, you know, it had to be a good script to get him to want to come back, sort of out, out of re- acting retirement. And uh, I think I think it was uh, I think he did a good job. I think he's great in oh. this movie. This, I I could see that script pulling somebody back in to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> and it's a script written by Daniel Petrie, who is, you know, who was one of those writers in the '80s who like knew the '80s cop movie how to how to work that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, he'd written well, he, he'd written Beverly Hills Cop, he'd written uh, The Big uh, Easy, and then right after this, he does Turner and Hooch and Toy Soldiers. So there's a there's a formula that he you know he seems to know pretty well. He knows uh, Toy Soldiers, by the way. That's I've been meaning to get that on the the podcast. I'm, I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> Toy Soldiers, yeah. Toy on the Soldiers, list. man. Oh, that's good stuff. But but um, you have to you have to sing the song before we can do the episode. Uh, on another, okay, I'll sing that on you know, another the, episode. The pop song, then. yeah, the pop song, Toy Soldiers. Yeah, is that right? <clears throat> um, so what do you think? Okay, so let's talk about the plot of the movie a little bit. So okay, it opens with uh, someone breaking into their to a, a diamond exchange, basically, and, and stealing diamonds. The cops show up, FBI shows up. It turns out it's the owner of that of that business stealing his own diamonds. And why is he stealing? What what's he doing? He's, you know, at first kind of plays it off like they're my diamonds. I can do whatever I want with them. But then quickly 
confesses that he's there's a hostage situation at his house and someone's demanding the diamonds or he's going to kill his his wife right and thus enter enter uh fbi agent stanton to get involved with the case and and i think he's been tracking this guy already right did they make that clear if he was tracking or was it sort of in i felt like it was insinuated like he knew Mm. who this guy was not not exactly who it was but he's been dealing with this killer no i think no i don't think so i think he's he's dealt with these types because he they were trying to match the mo to other cases and they couldn't quite figure out who it Mm -hmm. was during the investigation so he didn't really exactly know who he's dealing with um like in the beginning but uh yeah it sort of feels like that though like you know he does these kind of high profile cases and right you know like where you know the fbi like wanted to make it their jurisdiction like right away like let's you know there's no messing around i mean at the time they don't, they didn't know they were dealing with with the killer you know with steve is the it's the name of the bad guy steve <laughs> those steve. evil steves yeah but uh it turned into that hostage like crazy like situation and immediately he's like negotiating with them and like trying to figure out how to how to take him down before anyone else get hurt uh gets hurt so yeah, no, I don't think he. I don't think he knew who he was, but he's definitely dealt with that kind of guy before. Yeah, yeah, yeah and <clears throat> and did you did you catch who his partner is? I didn't. Wait, no, no. Who was his partner? It's the guy from Die Hard. It's the fist with fist oh, with your toes guy, Robert yeah. Lesser. Robert, yes, that's right. Yeah. I did. I I I did track him. I just couldn't quite. Uh, I couldn't place him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a, nothing major there, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but quickly the hostage situation at the house at the, you know, the, the shop owner's house is, uh, gets out of hand very quickly. He sends out the, uh, maid to teach them what to basically show the FBI that he was serious and he just executes the maid right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, the whole this whole time you don't see him you all you hear is like a gravelly voice and it's meant to kind of not give you a direction of who this person is when when he emerges with the wife you know at gunpoint they're under a blanket and they make their way to the car they take off towards the uh where a boat is supposed to be waiting for him to escape yeah of course that's the fbi is not going to let that happen and they're going to you know catch the boat the minute he takes off but this killer is not your average killer. <laughs> he, <laughs> not your average thief. Yeah. He a- executes the wife, shoots her in the eye, very violent, disturbing image there, and then yeah. um, disappears off the boat. So while they do catch the boat, he's it, it's a decoy. So yeah. he's swam off, or we don't know how he's escaped, but he escapes. Yeah. So, you know, while that's going on, uh, Stanton has to go back and try to start over from square one and figure out how to catch this guy. And then we see what he's doing all from his point of view that he's, you know, now driving up the coast and trying to get to Canada, uh, where we suddenly meet. There's an interesting moment there too. Did you catch that as he's driving and he pulls up and he sees that police officer blocking the road? Mm-hmm. And he panics and turns around and drives away. Where he—that's where he makes the decision. He's going to have to cross the mountains instead of driving straight through the border. 
Yeah. And I love that, you know, you see that camera move that he's only blocking the road because there's been a car accident. Yeah. Not that the FBI have all the roads blocked, which is what the killer is thinking. Yeah, yeah. So if he had just played it cool and gone up and waited till the road was cleared, he would have been made it straight through. And none yeah. of the rest of the movie would have ever happened. That's true. Yeah, no, he put himself... Or, or if he, when he was evading what he thought was a police siren, you know, coming toward him, which it was going toward the accident, if he just didn't murder the other tourist that he comes across, <laughs> like, he would have been fine. Like, yeah. If he just integrated himself, but I guess he had to take that guy's place or something. Like, But then, they, you know, the, the tourist was found within a day. Uh, very obviously or something like that. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it, uh, he kind of, uh, if he just, if he, if he knew the truth, if he hadn't, if he knew the right moves to, to pull, he could have gone away scot-free and then we wouldn't have a movie. There, then there'd be no movie. There'd be no movie. You need, you need, you need things to happen to make a movie and things happened. Yeah, so he kills this guy, takes his place on the the. Uh, he's got a spot on a hiking tour that um, is going. The, the The tour itself is not going over the border, but it's you know right in that general area. So right. uh, he takes his spot, and then we cut to the tour group, and we see Kirstie Alley is the tour guide, the hiking you know the the taking them through the hiking trails. And it's this group of five guys that you know one of them is the killer, but you don't know which one still at this point. Yeah, it's not clear. Yeah. And they did, I think they did a really smart thing in who they cast in those roles because they've got, all of them are really a red herring that it could be anybody. And some of those guys are familiar faces and people that have played or regularly play villains. Like Andrew Robinson is the the killer and dirty Harry. So I think, Mm. you know, right off the bat to me, he'd be the number one person that uh, I would suspect as the killer. Yeah. Yeah, He's got that look to him that they all have a certain look to them. They could all be like a bad dude, (laughs) you know? Well, and as they're talking too, like they're all a little suspicious of each other or they're dropping hints at something or, or they've got something to hide and it's yeah. not done in a like cheesy, obvious way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, um, you know, pretty cleverly written and, uh, yeah, I think it's well done. Um, you've got Richard Masser in there from, from the thing and it, uh, the original yeah. it and God, so many movies. He's, you know, a big, all these guys are character actors that are uh, pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, of course, Clancy Brown is in there. Who Clancy. is Clancy? Is it feels like he's been in more things in the last like ten years than he was in the entire 1990s. <laughs> Clancy just he stays busy, man. He is in demand. He, well, he's yeah. got a great voice too, so you hear him. You know, yeah. for anybody who's listening to his kids, if they, you know, listen to, I think he's in Clone Wars, he's in Transformers Prime, he's in a whole bunch yeah. where he does voices. So, oh yeah, he does tons of voices. So, he's he he crosses all the generations with his with his stardom. Everybody knows Clancy. Yeah, and of course he's coming off of Highlander. Here, I think was his uh, the big movie that was right before this. So, is that right before this one? Well, yeah, a few, a couple of years, but. Um, yeah. 
yeah, that was uh, so another actor who's played villains before. Uh, Frederick Coffin is in it, who I only really knew from Hard to Kill, which would be after this, as uh, Seagal's former partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all the uh, all those guys are really interesting, and and you know we see them hiking the trail and and have no idea which of them it is, but we know it's one of them. So right, and while while that's happening, of course, Stanton has come has has uh, been has heard about the, the tour uh, tourist that was killed and saw that he was shot through the eye and knows that's his, that's his man. So he is going to uh, attempt to hike the trails and track them down. Uh, but you can't do it without a guide, right? You need someone to get you through, through the mountains. It's not, it's not just a, a simple walking trail. If you had to pick somebody, who would you pick? Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley. Well, if she's already, let's say she's booked on another tour, who's the next? Who's the next best oh, thing? Tom Berenger. Of course. <laughs> That's it. Nineteen eighty. They're the best. It was like, who's gonna? Who's the guy that can get me? Oh, you want John Knox? He's gonna. When Poitier needs a guide, you know, and and John Knox has a connection with her. They're like. They're like partners. There's nothing clear that they're partners, but they're probably romantically involved, yeah. but they're not serious mm. or, you know, they're not together together, but uh, they both know the outdoors and they, they're the only ones who are really going to be able to keep our hero alive and keep our villain alive. Uh, yeah. I, I guess they, they never really out and out say that they're a couple. Uh, they yeah. just say that they're partners, but it, seems like they're more than just like they own a business together yeah i guess but like so like but he obviously um mr Beringer, who his character's name john knox so john knox like he as soon as he knows he's like that she's in danger it's like he was gonna go alone and i got this and uh stan is just like if you go on your own you're under arrest and we're gonna throw you in jail like it's just like <laughs> you have no right to do this and it's like ah, stupid cop throwing his cop stuff around you know like (laughs) but i mean he has to do that so he can get him to to take him so yeah um, you know i don't know and and that's where the movie really becomes uh, more of an action adventure movie plus like this bonding kind of film this buddy, buddy cop but um you know there's how do you feel about the racial tones of this movie because I think to me it comes across different than a lot of other films. Um, do you feel like this movie is a really is is really trying to make a statement on ra- on uh, you know races working together? Um, I guess that's a subtext, but it's not it's not overt. It's not you know that the cop that you know the FBI agent's black and and the guide is white. You know it's not. Uh, it's not really meant it's not mentioned at all like the 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 racial difference between them is is not noted so the the difference between them is you know being a city guy and a an outdoors guy that's the main conflict like there are any you know stanton is invading his is invading knox's world and then later knox invades uh uh stanton's world when they have to do the chase through through town and stuff like that um so no, I don't, I don't, I guess, but I, I, I guess there's the subtle message of two different races trying to be working together, 
you know, to do the, the right thing. Um, I don't know. I, that's all I saw it as. It, it, it seemed very post-racial to me. Yeah, I agree. And that's part of what I like about the movie is that they didn't, you know, because it would be so obvious that it's about, the you know, a black cop and a white, you know, trail guide work being forced to work together. And that's just like so on the nose. Yeah. And you can have that there without, I mean, they don't call it out at all in the movie, you yeah. know, so there's no reference to race, um, white or black at all in the yep. whole movie. So yeah. uh, I, I really like that. And it is, it's more, much more about the city slick, city slicker versus the mountain man. Right. Kind of relationship. And, and, and again, we're going back to the fish out of water. So, right. yeah. you know, Stanton's the fish out of water here and he's got to physically, and this isn't easy. I mean, taking a, a city cop and going into these, like, these are really rough mountain trails yeah. I mean, like, there's some good action pieces when, when they're, you know, crossing the gorge. Yeah. Um, so, you, of course, you're seeing Kirstie Alley taking the tour group, you know, through first. And then we cut to however far behind Stanton and Knox are. And you see them doing the same things. But uh, whoever the killer is, is, uh, you know, making it more difficult for them to follow in their footsteps. So there's this. Uh, what is that like a what do you call those like a there's uh, over this gorge it's like a basket that they would ride across the gorge in right yeah i don't yeah i don't quite know what you call it but i don't know there's a name for it i'm sure but yeah it's it's a it's a it's a hover basket yeah and it's a great sequence (laughs) where (laughs) it's a great sequence where uh, you know, the tour group goes over, but then by the time Knox and Stanton get there, it's jammed. So Knox has to, uh, you know, climb across the, the wire to go release the basket so he can send it back for, for Stanton. And uh, this is actually where they shot this is the same exact gorge where they shot First Blood. Uh, so there's a big, you know, uh, action piece there with the helicopter and same, same gorge. So same gorge. Yeah. All right. Uh, but it's a great sequence. It's really, really tense. And, and, uh, you know, the first, I think the first instance where they really have to work together in order to survive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that's, uh, the, they they have a lot of conflict for a long time. <laughs> like Knox does just does not want Stanton there at all, and Stanton does his best to to carry on. And uh, it's uh, there's it, there's almost just a couple of comedic beats with him just being completely like not prepared for this this journey. Yeah. Um. So I, I I'm like it's turning like a little it's a little too funny for yeah. the intensity of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But the levity kind of goes away um, pretty quickly, and it's just a struggle. Uh, yeah, because they have to scale like rock faces and, and and everything. I mean, it's it's a hard hard journey for anybody, and if, especially if it's like someone who doesn't know how to do all that stuff. So, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, Knox thinks that Stanton's like slowing him down essentially to get to them, but you need Stanton to get into the mind of the killer, and, right? And you know, they they need each other. It's yeah. the only way it's going to work. Well, yeah, because it's, you know, Knox, and the point that Stanton keeps making is that Knox is, isn't trained to, when, when they catch up to him, what's Knox going to do? Like, he's right. not trained how to deal with those, 
uh, serial killers. So, yeah. And like, and his cleverness of, of how to, you know, he's obviously like the villain is so smart. Um, you know, you need a really smart guy who can think like a, like that guy. Uh, so Stan's it. Yeah. And, and the villain is not, um, you know, he's not cheesy. He's not, you know, your standard like eighties villain. He is, he is, I think they do portray him as much smarter than the average villain. Yeah. No, he clearly is. Like he, I mean, like from the opening of just uh, of how to manipulate the diamond donor and then showing like how to, how to escape the house um, and then the, the boat decoy and, you know, like he was, he was home free. I mean, it, it really was like a ra- that random circumstance of, yeah. like, of not figuring it out. Like, so he, he was smart enough to get there. He, he really should have been fine. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just that cops showed up in the wrong place for him. Yeah. Um, so he was going to be a challenge and he, and he's a character that he just hasn't give, he does not care about human life. Like it's, so you're dealing with someone that's so dangerous that he'll, he'll kill whoever he has to, um, to, to get, to get where he needs to go. Yeah. So, um, there's not like a, a chance to like appeal to his humanity or, or whatever. Like they'll just, he's just going to kill <laughs> and that's scary. Yeah. All you know, villains who who will just kill you, uh, you know, uh, kill anyone to get their means. I mean, there's there's no, no negotiating that. Yeah, and it's you know, let's talk about what happens to the hikers. So, uh, okay. when we could because that was just really showed again. In case you forgot it, this dude is brutal. This is a yeah. brutal murderer, and. Uh, so how does it start? So they're hiking and Richard Masser and Clancy Brown are kind of like a few steps behind as the others uh, kind of go around this curve and they're talking and, and Richard Masser slips and is, you know, almost falling off the edge when Clancy Brown goes to reach for him, his gun pops out and then it's like, uh Oh, cards are on the table now. Yeah, yeah. Like he's not who he says he is. And, He's like, oh, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. So yeah. he gets him to hand to reach the gun first and hand the gun back over before he helps him climb up. Yeah, yeah. But then he knows it's like, okay, the cat's sort of out of the bag. I mean, it really wasn't, but I think pretty quickly he would have had to be talking his way out of it with the other hikers. So, yeah, you know, he just this moment of just... And Richard Master is portrayed as this sweet guy you know, I mean, still a red herring that he might be uh, not who he says he is either. But yeah, you know, in general, like especially if you watch it again, it's like nope, he's just a straight out like nice guy. He's <laughs> a nice he, guy who's ill-equipped to like handle the trails. So it's a, yeah, it's a nice indicator that he could be the bad guy. You know, like he doesn't know how to do this stuff. <clears throat> or yeah, it's. Uh, and so, yeah. Once, once he gets to the, t- once he like rescues him, he it's it's basically like he's not gonna be able to to explain it all away. He doesn't have a badge, so if everyone was like, everyone had to know who he was. So he he murders him. He just tosses him off the cliff, and then the other the rest of the gang like come back. You're like, what happened and what's going on? And then he just he tosses three of them off the cliff. Yeah. Like just brutal, like, just pushes them right off, like without, off. yeah. And like you know, what a what a way to go! Like just you know, you're on a hiking trip with a bunch of dudes, some some newfound friends, and then you're just straight up 
murdered. So it's uh, pretty scary, pretty, pretty terrifying kind of moment. Yeah. And especially when he, you know, what he does to Andrew Robinson, like yeah. the way he, you know, puts the gun right to his, right to his head and just inches him backwards and pushes yeah. him slowly off the cliff. Like yeah. that was, that really bothered me as a kid. Yeah. It's disturbing shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I could, I, I, if I saw this, like as a kid, like I would probably have hated it. Like, like this is grotesque but that's the scene that i basically came across they they got through the gore i saw the gorge scene and i saw how uh stanton and knox like uh figured out the gorge and then like the murders happened pretty much right after that and then um so yeah whether that's 20 minutes or so whatever you know i'd seen a brief time frame of it but uh if i was like a kid i would have hated that like (laughs) The, the just the murder of these innocent people yeah it was it was disturbing yeah yeah so uh and then yeah, he's I don't got, know. yeah then he takes kirsty alley uh hostage and but he's got to keep her alive because she's gonna have to help him get it get you know where they're going so yeah um and then pretty quickly like stanton and knox come across the bodies in the river you know they see yeah. the dead bodies floating there so they know that they're they know that they're close um and that at the moment she's probably still alive. So screw yeah. all the rest of these guys; <laughs> they don't matter. Yeah, they just leave the bodies there. And yeah, <laughs> move on. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, you know, when they're—I just remember when they're packing in the beginning. Um, Stanton has all this kind of like more high-tech kind of camping gear and and survival stuff, and Knox just like throws it all out of his bag that they're yeah. gonna just you know you know do it his way, <laughs> which. Yeah, yeah comes back later to haunt them but um yeah because because they got trapped in the snow or yeah yeah there was because he had like like battery powered socks and you know things that would have helped them there yeah yeah, yeah. um let's talk about before you go further let's just circle back to our dear our our dear dear friend tom berenger so okay um, Tom, you know, as you very well know, David has a uh, a drive-on for Recon Cinema Studios, twenty-four-seven. Right. Tom can come on the lot anytime he pleases. All Sometimes right. he just likes to go to the commissary and then you know pop in and out. But uh, he's yeah. busy. Tom Berenger's a, a major motion picture star. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> There's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, he can. He. He's Mr. Hollywood, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, you know, back in the 80s, he was a, I, I would say he was probably one of the top stars oh, of yeah. the 80s. You know, not oh, like yeah. Arnold and Stallone level, but he was in a lot of big movies and yeah. was, uh, uh, you know, I, I loved him. I, You know, he was in, I think the first thing I saw him in was, was Butch and Sundance, the early years. Did you ever see that? No. So... It was a, uh, a, a, a technically a sequel to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but it was, uh-huh. I think, set you know before that takes place with, uh, uh, let's see, it was William Cat as as a young version of the Sundance Kid and Tom Berenger in the Paul Newman role of Butch Cassidy. So, uh-huh. yeah, uh, William that, Cat was the he's the greatest, greatest American, American hero, hero and yeah. the guy from House. 
Oh, is he on House? No, not, not the show. Oh, the movie House? <laughs> the movie House. Yeah. I thought you meant the, the show about the Doctor House. No. Doctor House. Uh, but of course, Berenger, I think his first movie that, that he got really big with was The Big Chill. Uh, yeah. Eddie and the Cruisers and Platoon, of course. So, Of course. Uh, which we, yeah, I think we'll look at Platoon at some point on, on this show. I think by 2025, we'll probably have yeah. done it. Uh, but I always thought he was like just a really cool like he just looked cool to me he he kind of sim- symbolized that and uh, another movie a, a Ridley Scott movie called Someone to Watch Over Me as well yeah but David you probably know him for a lot of the stuff he did after this movie which not only would include Major League 1 and 2 but also like four sniper movies you know, sniper and then like three sequels yeah. and then the substitute. A lot of a lot of sniper movies that I did not see. Um, but I You're did lost. see the substitute. Your loss, my friend. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Snipers, that's cool. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, I haven't uh I haven't seen I yeah, no, Major League was the first time I knew who he was, like which was like the next year, right? Wasn't it? Major League was a year after this, yeah. Yeah, and then I hadn't seen because it, it, I still hadn't seen Platoon for a while, um, right? I, even after it came out, so I think I, I, yeah, Platoon was much later in life. So these were that it was Major League was really where I I knew him, and then he'd yeah. shown up in other stuff. So, well, that's a, that's a pretty good hot streak there. Platoon, someone to watch over me, shoot to kill, Major League. That's a that's a good run. I'll say. Uh, but you would also know him from uh, his appearances on Cheers, with, with uh, also with Kirstie Alley, where he Kirstie plays Allen. her boyfriend. That's right, right at the yeah. end. The right final, at the end. Is the that the season. last? The last season, right? Yeah. Yeah, last season, and he plays like a plumber or something. Yeah. And she like Rebecca Howe is not for someone that would date someone in that station in life. She was always chasing rich men, rich powerful men, instead of blue collar guys. But yeah, I think I think he's in the final episode. Even I remember the one right before it. I don't remember, but he's only yeah. Ah, Tom Berenger. So would Cheers essentially, you know, be a a shoot to kill sequel? Really? What if uh, yeah. Jonathan and 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 Kirstie Alley's character, you know, decided to just cut, you know, just stop doing the hiking thing and move to Boston and <laughs> become a plumber and and own a bar. Maybe, yeah. I mean, Kirstie Kirstie was was already doing Cheers, I think, when this yeah. this movie came out, right? So yeah, she yeah. was. Uh, this was this could have been her. This could have been her character's side gig, like over the, on the in the winter months. She she goes to the the Great Northwest and, um, you know, leads people through the trails. Yeah, that could be right. Yeah. So we'll we'll say they're related. They're in the same cinematic universe. So it's the, yeah. Cheers is yeah. This is, these are those characters. <laughs> the STKCCU. There you go. Shoot to kill. Cheers. Cinematic universe. Boom. Right. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's trending on Twitter already. Absolutely. Everyone <laughs> talks about it. <laughs> Everyone does. Um. Do you uh? Let do you buy Tom Berenger in this character though? Do you feel? Do you feel like you buy what uh, he's selling, or does it feel I, like an actor? I think he's kind of an actor, to be honest. Like I, I, 
he plays like the the jerkiness uh asshole kind of really well but like you know i don't know it's like I, he fits the role but i don't i don't buy him as a mountain man i guess i don't know he plays the role well though i i just don't know if he's uh he's this guy like the mountain man guy i don't know i you know i i i did buy it actually i i feel like he got that ruggedness across that you know sure. I, I i went for it so yeah. He clearly didn't shave in a couple of days. He didn't shave. He so had yeah. a flannel shirt. You know, He's, like this is a guy. That's all it takes. Yeah. If you don't have a flannel shirt, you're not a mountain man. So like Richard Karn from Home Improvement would have been the perfect mountain man. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine <laughs> imagine Karn in Poitiers. Oh, man. Oh, forget about it. That's the team up. That's the team up of the ages. That could still happen real reasonably. It could, yeah. Poitiers hasn't done a movie in decades, right? You, like, could, you could do Shoot to Kill 2 right now. It yeah. can happen. It's not too late. <laughs> Unless Karn plays the villain. You know, you can... Oh. What, what if they're at... The, Karn v. Poitiers? Oh, man. Munchak, you're talking gold right now. You're talking Karn gold. v. Poitiers. That's on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. It's like the Demolition Man poster. Yeah, they're just facing each other. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. I, I, I have the first 30 tickets already. <laughs> Did you know on Home Improvement, Richard Carden is the star of Home Improvement. That's why we're mentioning him. He wore a flannel shirt. Did you know that was the original? I knew that he actually replaced an actor that was going to play that role for like the season because that actor got a uh, a movie. It turns out that actor was Stephen Tobolowsky. I had no idea that Stephen really? Tobolowsky was the original Al. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. I found that out recently. It's on the internet. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm just trying to place. You know, I'm I'm trying to picture that. I, I think Karn may. I think Karn was probably the best choice. Well, I mean, the, I think I love the character. But... To, I love a Tobolowsky for sure. But I feel like it was like uh, the character became what it was because of Karn. You know. Because I don't, right. he was he was not even a series regular first season. Like it was, and he, he didn't really have much to do with any of the plot. He was just a guy like that was counter to to Tim Allen's character. Like right. that, uh, so that that part would have ended up being very different as the show went on. But um, Karn killed it. So that's just some, that's some Tobolowski trivia for you. Well, we should, you know, we should uh, reserve all that for our episode by episode podcast, uh, looking back at home improvement. Right. Home improvement, the podcast. Um, I can't, I'm trying to come up with a clever name for it. I can't <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> um, I, wa- I wanted to do a Battlestar Galacticast. Uh, and then literally the day I thought of it, I think it was announced that Trisha Helfer was hosting a new podcast called the Galacticast. Yeah. Like that day. I'm like, or within a couple of days, I'm like, damn it. She took, she took my idea. Yeah. Trisha Helfer. I wanted to call it battle pod Galacticast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to do a Sopranos one because there was like, there was like one Sopranos podcast. And then like a same thing, like a couple of weeks later, out comes talking Sopranos with uh, Sopranos. Yeah. It's uh, there's Pod Yourself a Gun, which is another uh, mm-hmm. another popular podcast that's out. Andrea Matteo's got one now, also. So 
just trying to milk that Sopranos money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, I, I'm curious, I'm curious what our first episodic podcast is going to be. Well, the world will have to find out in 2027 when we start ready (laughs) as we review home improvement from 1989 Um, to 2004. So, so Kirstie Alley was on cheers already by this point. She was what season, like her first or second season, I think. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, I, I think the only other thing that I really at the time knew her from was Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, right? And that was her that was her debut, wasn't it? It's if not her, yeah, if not her first, it's definitely one of her first roles, I mm-hmm. believe. Yeah, uh, and then uh, she was in a John Larroquette movie, right? Is that right? What's that? That called? was after. Yeah, was, was it that after Mad, Madhouse? I saw it in the theater. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, she. I mean, she. She worked a lot. Yeah, but Wrath of Khan really was her big breakout role. Yeah. Um, well, she but, was a big star. I mean, she really was of the Luke Who's Talking movies, and oh yeah, and, and she was a big star through uh, probably through the nineties, really, and then she kind of disappeared for a while and uh, came back on some. It was a reality show, I think. Well, she had Veronica's Closet for. All right, for yeah. three or four years, I think. Yeah. I don't right at the end of the nineties too, and so and then yeah, they had like a reality show, and or she was it a reality was was fat actress a reality show or was that a oh uh, trying to remember I, didn't I don't see think it. it was reality I but I th- thought she appeared on some reality show but she's always basically been around I mean she's she's great yeah she's she's always around um. Yeah, so this was uh, this was this was her. Like, it's it kind of sucks that she's just relegated to like she's a very competent person and she's just taken hostage and you know she's she doesn't really have any opportunities. She she takes one opportunity to try to outsmart him and beat him at the very end. Like it's convenient. Like, mm-hmm. but um, you know it's uh, she's just sort of the she's sort of the damsel in distress role in this movie and it's kind of like for someone with her caliber and just the way she plays smart characters and everything like i don't know like you know she's just a victim of like the the story you know she's yeah she she could have for her caliber of of who she is uh, at that time and everything uh I feel like you could have done something different with that character but that's not the movie as written so that's all right yeah, it's, you know, she doesn't have much to her character and they're not really requiring much of her other than to be yeah. shocked and scared and, and traumatized by this killer yeah. uh, who by this point we know is Clancy Brown. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I really liked how, you know, you we didn't see who the killer was. So you've got this kind of like the same element that worked for jaws so well you've got working here and that you don't see you don't see it you don't see the villain i mean you know the villain what the villain's doing but you don't you don't see everything it's even when he executes those people in the beginning you don't see him execute the wife like you hear the gunshot and you find the body but um so it's left to your imagination and uh does the movie 
change or lose something after that once you know who the killer is? Do you feel like it becomes, uh, not that it becomes a different movie, but just that, you know, there's a shift? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, keeping the tension of, like, who who could it be? I mean, uh, and at the time, no one really would know Clancy Brown's voice, like, to pick it out. Uh, Right. So I didn't, like, that's why even watching it, like, was it was that was his voice a red herring too like is it actually richard minister because because the way that was played up like i Mm -hmm. was like i really couldn't tell um what it was going to be but it was uh yeah once once it's just then it just becomes a a chase like without that tension so right um yeah that shift the shift happens i mean i think it still works though um it doesn't really the, the the looming threat is still there it's now just just it's it's liminal it's it's obvious. It's right there. Yeah, I, I agree that it it does change, but it doesn't. It's not necessarily any worse of a movie because of it. That it's yeah. like the tension is shifts from who is the killer to really just can they catch up with them in time? Yeah. So you know, you we get some montages, some great. You know, I was saying there's a lot of '80s tropes in this movie, and you've got your right in the beginning, like the first couple shots, like you've got your, your wet down, you know, your wet shiny streets of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> saxophone was, was playing oh, over the, the saxophone in the score. You know, at the 80s sax was just uh, all over this movie. <laughs> I hated that so much. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm watching it and my wife walks in and she just looks at me. She's like, what's with the music? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, um, it had that familiar '80s feel to it. Yeah, but then you got this montage of of Stanton and Knox as they're you know trekking over the you know climbing mountains. You know, I, I think it's mostly the mountain climbing sequence where they're working together and they're doing it, and and they're you know they're they finally kind of become this team. And yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was uh, that was well done. Well, once once Knox had to save his life, like in the snowstorm, and they had to like they had to share body heat, like then they had to like dig to make sure they were going to survive because they were but they were going to die. Like he's like dig or we're going to die, and uh, to get in their little their little uh, cave. So it was. I think that's what that's what bond, like they shared a laugh after that. I think. Granddaddy was 87 when he died. And I'll always remember seeing him in his coffin. So? Well, he looked a damn sight healthier three days dead than you do now. <laughs> you know, then they became friends. Friendship. Right? Yeah. Was it friendship? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think by this point, there, there's, ad- there's, there's admiration of each other by this Admiration. There you it's, go. You know, this is another situation that's eerily reminiscent of uh, the story of John and David and how we met and became right. friends. So, you saved my life. I was I was the mountain man in this. In this, you situation. were the mountain man. You were the you FBI got, agent, and you got me in a sleeping bag and and kept my body warm. <laughs> what are you trying like, to say? I was like, this is familiar. <laughs> as I was watching it. Um, 
I remember being, you know, a kid watching this like, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's gotta be how that must work. If that's, yeah. <laughs> this must, that's, this must be true. I feel like in, I feel like in the eighties, there's lots of references of like needing to share body heat to, to survive. Like, yeah. I don't know why I feel like that was a common thing. I'm like, share body heat. Like you have to take your clothes off and share body heat. What the hell? What? I didn't get it. But and it, it was always like, like every time that was a, What's your problem? You heard about us country boys, haven't you? Jesus, you smell. Do I smell like that? In in a a man-made ice cave, you know, there's like you're taking off your clothes in there and just like putting your bodies together and that makes it warm. I don't get it. Yeah. I liked that this movie didn't have like a a gay panic to that moment, you know, or, or yeah. they, you know, it's so easy to do. Like, well, that's the thing. Like this movie doesn't like re- reference race. It doesn't like, like make a, like a gay panic homophobic joke about, you know, having to share body heat, not even, and they don't even explain like, well, we need, like Behringer doesn't explain that. Well, we, we need to share body heat so we don't die. Like, it's just, he's just, they're all just doing their jobs. Everyone's just doing their jobs in this movie uh, <laughs> without explaining stuff to the, to the audience. Like, well, we can't do that because in this, uh, this kind of mountaintop, you can't do blah, blah, blah. Like, there's no, like, here's an explanation for the city guy, uh, if, which would in turn be an explanation for the audience. It's, uh, I, I, I like that this movie continues, it just continues on the path. It's the pursuit. It's the chase. Here's the stuff that needs to happen. Uh, with that lying eye, it was like the the kind of the 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 comedic things in the beginning where it was uh how stanton was adapting to it uh where i thought it was going to be a lot i thought the rest of the movie was gonna be a lot funnier than it it, it ended mm-hmm. up being but it was just a couple of moments of levity uh and then it, it, we moved on from it so yeah we didn't need a lot of like wow everything's crazy if you're not in a suit and tie and you got to live <laughs> on the mountain um so I, I appreciate that the, the movie takes everything very seriously, more or less, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, because he doesn't know how to, like, deal with the horse and get on the horse. Yeah. And, he, you know, and the bear. The right it's, the it's, bear. All, it's all with the animals, like the elk, the or, or the moose, not the, moose. the elk, the, the moose, the horse and the bear interaction. Yeah. Well, at least the bear was kind of thrilling, like he had to. You know, he did exactly what you do is you, you get big and loud and you scare the bear away. Um, and, uh, you know, and he did it while St- uh, Knox was knocked unconscious. So, um, yeah, I, I like, I, again, I like that it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of, but the moose thing was interesting because he opens the door, stares at the moose, closes the door, and then he just shakes his head like it's a cartoon. Like, I didn't see a moose. What? Yeah. Yeah. And then he opens the door, there's no moose. And then Stan walks in, or Knox walks in, like, did you see the moose? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was, it was such a little, funny little moment um, between them. Uh, yeah. See the moose? That deadpan moment of when he opens the door and just, like, stares yeah. at it is was just, that, that got me. That was, that was a funny Yeah. And that's funny. just good. That's just good performance. That's good performance from Sydney. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. It's cute. I like that shit. So, um, yeah. so, all right. So then the, 
how do how do you feel the movie go? How do you how did you feel about the movie once they get through the mountains and they have that you know they've almost caught up to them and right when they do they they end up uh, Clancy Brown and Kirstie Alley end up you know getting on a, a truck and escaping. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about the movie after that? Because then it goes reverse. Then it becomes Knox is the fish out of water as he's back in Stanton's world in the city trying to, yeah. you know, catch this killer. And and I think he's just along for the ride because he can uh, ID uh, Sarah, Kirstie Alley, right? right. He, he's got to, so he's got to stay with him. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I love, I love that he's part of the team. Like they don't even make a thing of what he's like, he's basically deputized, like, bringing it you know he's got a gun and he's like he's not a cop but he's there to 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 join in the pursuit like he's earned he earned his place to continue that pursuit yeah um so yeah i like that i like i like that you spend less time in the city pursuit than you did in the mountain pursuit um for the i think for you know comparatively speaking so yeah uh yeah i thought i thought it was a, a nice change and it wasn't like the obvious thing like he says it he says it he's like now you're on my turf he uses his uses Knox line against them when it was like, now it's the city's, you know, the city's turn. But um, like, it, it didn't seem like Knox would be so out of place in the city. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. He knows how cars work. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's not like things are foreign uh, to him. So I thought it was cool. I liked it. I like, I like that. It, it kind of upped the, uh, the ante. It got, it, the climax was like, it was building to a good climax. Um, yeah. Now that they were in the city. Yeah, I I think um you know it's the kind of thing that where it it could go off the rails. You know, other movies would would take it in a different direction and you'd lose the tone and you would um you know, but this movie doesn't. I think it keeps the intensity ratcheted up pretty high. Um yeah. it's all good performances I think from everybody that helped do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the 80s sax. Don't forget that. The sax was there, man. Oh, man. It's that always sax, there. It, it, it did the job. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I think it was, I think it was exactly, I think it's great tonal, uh, tonally, you know, consistent and uh, kind of exciting at the end. It's last 30 minutes. How do you, um, how do you think this movie compares to a lot of the other 80s buddy cop movies? Uh, like, I mean, some of the big ones. So there's, you know, you've explain. got, of course, Lethal Weapon. You've got Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, you've got a movie like Red Heat. You've got Stakeout. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you think this, where do you think this ranks amongst those? This kind of deserves a little more attention than it, than it gets. I think. I mean, I I don't think this is a movie that's talked about a lot, um, and it's not that I don't think it's popular. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I think I think it's very solid. It's a solid film. I think from start to finish. I don't think it it and it. I think it takes it doesn't. Uh, it takes it lets the audience take it seriously. You know, it, it doesn't it it doesn't handhold you through it and there's not, I don't know. There's an intensity to it. Um, well, you don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's as good as any of those other movies, frankly. I mean, yeah. 
I, I mean, I think, you know, it's not the blockbuster movie that Lethal Weapon and Beverly Hills Cop are, and they've got a little, they've got more comedic stuff. Well, Beverly Hills Cop has more comedic stuff going on uh, with it. So it's not, maybe not quite at that level. It's not intended to be that kind of movie, but it's certainly better than Red Heat. It's better than <laughs> Stakeout yeah. for sure. It's, uh-huh. um, you know, you could make comparisons with 48 Hours. I think that's a movie that's, which we've covered here on the show. You can find it in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com. Um, so I, I think that's when you can compare it to. But, you know, it also, there's no, there's no slowdown. There's no, you know, boring part in the middle where it loses the audience. You know, mm-hmm. the intensity is kept up the whole way through. It's a strong story. The action's believable. Uh, and the characters are good. So, you know, you put all those together and that's really what all you're looking for from a movie, right? Enter- yeah. From, from I, an entertainment I think value the, movie. I, yeah. I think those other movies make a pointed effort to like make sure the characters have more conflicts and more things to talk about to show their differences and, and have them come together. Like, I don't think... I don't think this movie does a lot of the, the character work that those other movies do in terms of their opposition to each other and their eventual growth into friendship. Um, whereas the, it's pretty much they're all business and they're just, the conflict is just like, you know, comes from, from being from different worlds. Like, right. And they're not trying to like get to know each other. There's no, you know, Stanton doesn't tell him a story about growing up and to that, that Knox could relate to or, an experience that you know they're just they're just on a mission so like this movie doesn't take much care for for building the the actual like relationships between them it's just the relationship happens because of their proximity to each other and and needing each other so on that front i and i mean maybe that's what this movie lacks is like them as as people beyond the mission that they're on you know, and I think all those other movies at least attempt to give you like a perspective of like, well, this is why this guy's like this, and this is why this guy's like this, and that's why they're they're it's hard for them to deal with each other for a while, or whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I that could be that could be why this doesn't get elevated to those other movies because it's it's missing like the the building a, a natural building of a friendship. Yeah, I don't think though. I wouldn't say it's missing those, you know, these guys aren't going to be, I think it'd come off cheesier if they, they, you know, like became these friends and they're going to stay in touch afterwards. Like they're here, they're here for a reason. And the, the, the furthest they're going to get is that they've earned each other's respect. Yeah. Which they do. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think it, I think it makes sense for in, in the movie itself is internally, it makes sense. It's like, but I can see like, I don't know, audiences respond to things where the, the, there's a level of, yeah, like cheesiness or something of, mm-hmm. um, of these conflicts where like they can, they can hug at the end. And it's like, they're, they're friends now. Like that, this movie doesn't attempt to do anything like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, but I, so that's why maybe in the discussion of these eighties move, these eighties, buddy cop things um it's not it's not in the in the mix maybe because mm-hmm. it's like um what the hell uh the district 
Precinct uh, Precinct Nine. What the hell was Assault that movie? Assault on we... Precinct Thirteen. Thirteen. You know, like that's not really a buddy cop thing, but it is like the that is that team up, and they and they're under like dire circumstances, and by the end, like they they've earned they've earned their respect and friendship, like just by the intensity of what they went through and you don't you don't get a lot of their backstory either but i think like the relationship there is seems more solid like i don't know people i think people like watching people become friends <laughs> like <laughs> you know and that's why you get a little more you get a you get a better reaction um whereas this one yeah this is like these are two men who are competent in what they do and they come from different worlds but they're not they're it, you don't have there's not a zaniness to it like he doesn't understand how to camp and go camping. So let's point that out. Like, you know, it's just like, he's along for the ride. He's hanging in there. He's doing the yeah. best he can uh, uh, with Knox. And then, uh, you know, I guess when it flips, uh, you know, Stan is, is the FBI guy. He's the cop. He knows how to do this stuff and he's going to show him. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There, it, it's weird that this is not, more elevated but i i can i can point to maybe that as kind of the reason they're they're not natural friends or unnatural friends uh at, at the end they just they just did their jobs yeah um i i don't know i wonder why this movie has been kind of forgotten over time mm. you know i i don't know if it's a it's a rights issue of why this is not available anywhere mm. I, don't know. I mean because it's touchstone i think that put this movie out which is disney ultimately so <laughs> right uh but maybe they don't own the rights anymore i mean uh, you know who knows if those expired or transferred to somewhere else um it, it's interesting that it's uh just not readily available yeah I think that's the only reason why it doesn't rank higher uh, in the respect level of of the almighty 80s cop movie. Right. <laughs> uh, well, that would be why, I think. Well, how did this one do? Come yeah, before we, before we get into the box office side of it, let's just talk about just there's some really great technical minds uh, making up the, the team, the crew who made the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, the director is Roger Spotswood, who had done The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper and The Best of Times, which is a a Kurt Russell movie, so maybe we'll be covering that uh, at some Mm. point in the near future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later on, he would would do uh, Turner and Hooch, also written by Daniel Petrie, Air America, Stopper, My Mom Will Shoot, and and, uh, one of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies, Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm. So, uh, respectable director there, kind of right in the, you know, early part of his career. Um, I think he did a great job with capturing the tone of the movie that we've already talked about. And and it's hard to keep the intensity. I don't know, excuse me, if there's, you know, a lot of deleted scenes. I did see one that was actually uh, had a a, a mention of race in it when they're, Hmm. when they're in the, um, the body heat scene, when they've, they've dug a hole in the snow and they're trying to stay warm. And Stanton's got frostbite all over him. And uh, <clears throat> Knox just comments that he's never seen frostbite on a black guy before. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, oh. 
I think it was the right thing to do to cut that out and yeah. just not, if you're not going to reference it, don't reference it. Yeah. There's, that's a weird, yeah. I mean, it makes sense that it's not in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think Spotswood did a great job of keeping the, you know, the tone and the intensity consistent, keeping the performances strong all the way through. Sure. Uh, production designers, Richard Silbert, who is a legendary production designer. I mean, just <laughs> listen to this and see what doesn't fit. This is his, uh, a list of his credits. The Manchurian Candidate, The Graduate, mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown, Shampoo, Reds, <laughs> and Shoot to Kill. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. We got one of the best in yeah, the biz. Absolutely. It's interesting that he did this movie. Um, and then right after this, he does Dick Tracy. So I mean, he huh. was n- nominated for multiple Oscars. He won for Dick Tracy and, and uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, he got nominations for The Cotton Club, Reds, uh, Chinatown, and Shampoo. So he's a, what is that, a six-time Oscar nominee, a two-time winner. Ooh. Yeah. Do we deserve such yeah. a talent in this movie? I know. I know. It's weird. It's like... You know, there's it's a location-driven movie. Obviously, it's a lot in nature, so there's not necessarily like a huge production design. There's not a lot of sets and a lot of you know, we've got to build the structure. Um, so, yeah, yeah, but good for them for getting for locking uh, Richard Silbert into the movie. Yeah, we're we're lucky to have him. That's, <laughs> yeah. On top of that, you've got Michael Chapman. Uh, who recently passed away as the DP, another uh, product of the 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did. He shot The Last Detail, Taxi Driver, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which we also covered here on the show, Raging Bull. And then, you know, through the 80s, he, he did end up doing Lost Boys and the uh, Bad Music Video. Oh, right. Which was directed by Scorsese, so. Scorsese. So yeah, we've got some star, some high caliber talent, you know, behind this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting that there's such, again, for a fairly forgotten movie, there's such high level talent going into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it just gets lost in the shuffle of those other '80s cop movies and '80s buddy things that you know, and a like. I saw this on TV, but like you know, the affiliates were going to buy lethal weapon uh more more so than they would buy this one you know they'd rather air a oh yeah blockbuster thing so uh it didn't have like a i'm assuming it didn't have like a huge life after after the theatrical release um like those other movies would yeah i think i think it did i think it did have a life on the rental market <clears throat> yeah but let's talk about how, how the uh, movie did. You've got the, uh, what was the budget? You have the budget in front of you? Budget was $5 million or so. Yeah. Uh, five. No, that's not right. No, I don't have the budget in front of me. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's about that, though. Um, yeah. And it opens up on February 12th, 1988. It, uh, uh, it opens up at number two. Uh, of course, opening the same weekend as Action Jackson, Action Jackson, oh. uh, Satisfaction, and School Days. Um, it opens up at number two, right behind Good Morning Vietnam. So, I mean, oh. that was still a 
Uh, and that was in week eight. So Good Morning Vietnam was still uh, a huge movie at the time. Yeah. Um, but number two is good, right between uh, Vietnam and then and then Action Jackson. Uh, it ends up with a grand total of let's see, adjusted for inflation, it's sixty five million. But I think it was twenty nine. Twenty nine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it it uh, it definitely made money. Uh, and that's probably, you know, marketing off of Poitiers and, and Behringer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it did, you know, did have a life in, on video. And, you know, I knew a lot of people who had seen it when we were kids. Uh, but then, yeah, it just kind of disappeared after a while. And I, maybe part of that was, you know, both of these guys, you know, their, their most popular days, I, well, Poitiers were behind him. You know, he would move into sort of legendary status after this. But yeah. Berenger, you know, was still on the upswing for a few more years. And then, you know, by the mid late 90s, his, you know, he wasn't really leading big movies anymore. And by the 2000s, he was almost entirely gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, they're not going to market some of these movies without consistent names. Uh, so I think it just sort of faded away, which is a which was a shame because I think it's a really enjoyable movie yeah. for for an action movie. Yeah, it's a th- it is it is a a solid thriller. Uh, uh, it's got that level of excitement and intensity to it, but I think it, it yeah yeah it's got it's missing it's missing something I think that makes it easy for the audiences to connect with. Like people understand it, like it's and it's fine. But like it doesn't, it doesn't have that life afterward because it's, it's just this. It's really just this chase, you know. They, they, the, like it doesn't have the levity or the ex- explicit like the differences between these guys. It's mm-hmm. it it takes everything a little more seriously than a lot of the like those the buddy films do. Yeah. Um. You know. You know. Lethal Weapon's not really a funny movie, but it takes its time to show you the difference between these guys mm. uh i don't know right i mean well yeah lead, lead the weapon like gets funnier quote-unquote funnier as it goes you know through the franchise <laughs> you don't think four is funny <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> um, you know one is a very serious movie two gets a little comic relief three is just m- a lot more comedy and then four is sort of split it's just madcap yeah <laughs> like, yeah, yeah i guess it is split um yeah yeah, this is this this is a this is a this is a, this is a solid film for what it is and uh deserves a little more attention, I think. Yeah. But you know, we're talking about the stars. If uh okay, so let's say let's rewind and this is a a little segment I like to call reconcastimation. Mm, yeah. If you could if you could recast this movie with other stars from that era. So let's just say there, there was no, um, you know, Thanos has come and uh, snapped his fingers and, and Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger were not available for this movie. Who would you cast in those roles? Do you, you have any thoughts, any ideas? I'd say, I think Kurt Russell uh, as Knox, I think would be pretty great, actually. Although, you know, He'd have to be. He'd have to maintain that intensity, uh, without without. But he's like part of it is he's a little too charming. 
So it's it would be a very different movie with him as Knox. He could, even if he wasn't funny, like he, you know? he could play it down. Like backdraft, he's pretty serious. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying he wouldn't. He wouldn't be. I guess. Yeah, I guess. I think I just I I glom I, I gravitate to more of his like uh his the lightness he can bring to a character mm-hmm. the term you know you know snake plissken is not a, a funny character mm-hmm. either <laughs> like, uh you know anyway so that and so yeah you get you get a kurt and then let's see for stanton at the time in the 80s i don't know who do you who were you seeing in there who played uh, these parts yeah I, I there's a few you know if you want if you want like star power mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's Danny Glover, but uh, he had just done Lethal Weapon, so I don't think he would do a movie like this. Um, okay. Uh, you could put Carl Weathers. Okay. Yeah, Carl Weathers. Um, another one that I thought would be good is Bernie Casey. Bernie oh, okay. Casey was, you remember, he was the uh, principal in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Sure. So you, you're, you, you want to cast a black man in this? Well, yeah, if you're going to, yes, if I was thinking if you're going to keep that, you know, tone, the racial tone element there. Sure, sure. Um, I I like all those. Uh, Yeah, I think you could put Kurt. I think you could put, if you wanted a big star, you could do Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Maybe a little, he might have been a little too old at this point, but but another one is uh, Willem Dafoe. Ooh. I don't know, because wouldn't Defoe play Steve? <laughs> wouldn't well, he be more? Yeah, I mean, but he'd done yes. I but I could see him doing this. Like after Platoon, I could see him playing the rugged mountain guy. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he would be great. I mean, Defoe is great in anything he does. So yeah. Uh, no, I like those. Those I, I hadn't really thought about. Who who would I? Who's the dream cast? Or if you can't have these two, um, or you could, or you could do this. Listen to this. Flip them around. Harrison Ford as Stanton, mm-hmm. and then maybe what, what? Why not? Yeah, Carl Weathers as as Knox. Carl oh, Weathers gosh. could play either one. Oh man, Weathers Weathers should play both parts. <laughs> Just it's a weathers role. and weathers. <laughs> yeah, weathers. <laughs> it'd be amazing. A lot of a lot of good camera tricks. Um, <laughs> but I could I could see absolutely see Carl doing either of those parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So you know, how do you? So you think the whole the film holds up well today? Watching it from today's perspective. Yeah, I absolutely like it's. It's a thrill. It's uh, it's intense. It's got action. It doesn't. It really has almost nothing. It has nothing that really puts it in a in a a time capsule. Like you know, it's it's basically timeless. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, yeah. I'm sure there'd be some kind of technology element in it now. Like, yeah, of course. Sat phones. Mm-hmm. Is that still a thing? Yeah, sat phones. IPhones. But la- laser guns. Lasers, instead of, yeah. Instead of like a nine millimeter, it'd be like our, our typical laser guns because we live in the future. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah, of yeah. course. There'd be iPads everywhere. Robots. There's definitely like a robot. Drones. Um, 
maybe drones. So yeah, it, but other than you know that, but that would date it. That would date if we would have all those things. So this yeah. this this is just man versus man versus nature right mm-hmm. here. Yeah, and yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, I I do it. I'd say it's a little bit timeless. I mean, what places it in the '80s isn't the story. No, <laughs> it's that damn saxophone. <laughs> yeah, saxophone <laughs> and the models of cars. You know, yeah. like which you can't avoid. And uh, but even like the the clothing is, you know, it's like there's nothing that dates the yeah. There's nothing like <laughs> they're not wearing neon. Uh, they're wearing clothes. FBI guys wearing suits, and then he's got his mountain gear on. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, and, I mean maybe Berenger I think is rocking a pair of sweatpants at the end. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Let's talk about Jack Burton's. So that's our scale from zero yeah. to thirteen of how how uh, how well we we love it now. Uh, I'm gonna give this movie. I'm gonna go a little higher. I'm gonna give it a nine. I was gonna say about an eight point five to a nine on this. It's it's Ooh. it's really for me solid. Uh, yeah, it's got it's got everything I like uh, for the most part. So it's uh, there's no marvel universe characters in it but you know not every movie can do that so if i if i can't get dr strange uh, as a side character uh you know i'll take what i can get if everyone else is doing well (laughs) you wouldn't put hawkeye as jonathan knox (laughs) (laughs) i (laughs) i I love hawkeye leading sydney poitier through (laughs) through the woods Uh, (laughs) works for me yeah um but like, I'm. But I'm weird. Like, I don't know if I'd ever want to fire this movie up again. Like, like it's good. I don't know if I have a reason to watch it again. So your rewatchability, you think, is sort of low on this movie? I mean, but that's just sort of my problem with movies in general. Is like, I kind of, unless it's something that really hits for me, I'm I'm kind of a one and done kind of guy anyway. But, um, so don't take it like i don't think that's really that's just me as a person who mm-hmm. doesn't watch movies as frequently um as as others so i don't know but like i really liked it like so i don't know i could I think, stand to watch it again i just i yeah. don't know if i would want to uh i would actually say the rewatchability is is pretty good on this movie that that mm-hmm. um if you're looking for you know sometimes some of us Okay, me just get in the mood for an '80s cop movie. Yeah, you know, I would, I would watch. You know, I would watch this. I'd watch Forty Eight Hours. I'd watch Lethal Weapon. Those are and Beverly Hills Cop. Like those are my top ones right there. So there you go. I think uh, because this is different than those. It's not just a chase in the city. You know, you've got a different kind of environment that uh, that makes it stand out a little more. And then, yeah. then, you know, ratcheting up the violence level is, uh, um, I think helps this one stand apart from the others. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so, uh, I think, uh, you guys should all check it out if you haven't already. Uh, if you can track it down, you might have to find it from your local video store, uh, like ours here in, in, uh, Southern California video tech. Yeah, absolutely. Get get your subscriptions ready. Yeah, video tech. Uh, well, we've got a uh, an exciting uh, next couple of episodes coming up. I'm real uh, looking forward. I'm very much looking forward to getting. 
back in the studio with you. Maybe we'll get our, our pal Brent back in at some point. He's he's on assignment, he's, as we yeah, say right he's, now. Yeah, he's on assignment, so so we'll we'll have him back very soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But a uh, quick shout out and thank you to our friends, E.K. Wimmer, for the, the, the uh, theme song as usual. And check out his podcast, Laser Graves. Uh, really fun. He had some fun episodes over the holiday season and uh, a, a really good time looking back at mostly horror movies of the 80s, occasionally branching out from there and uh, some metal horror. and, and <laughs> uh, Metal horror? And, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in- interesting movies and always a really really fun show so check him out and then for thank sure. you to uh, our friend Curtis Moore for the poster as always uh, this was another fun one but uh, yeah I'm uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting uh, our band back together for the next uh, episode and I won't reveal what that is David you don't either don't say it because okay. we've got some big ones coming up soon so. I won't reveal it don't worry <laughs> no spoilers Uh, All right, guys. Well, thank you for uh, listening and hope you enjoy Shoot to Kill. And we'll see you next time on Reconsinimation. Bye now. I've never seen a grizzly turn and run like that before. Hell. Everybody else around here act like they've never seen a black man before. Why should the bear be different, eh?